Well, Psalm 125, if you haven't already turned there, turn uh, quickly. As I said, the title of this morning's message is Unshakable Security. Unshakable Security. If you are uh, so inclined, why don't you stand with me as we read the scripture together and just attend to what he is saying to us in the scriptures. Reading out of the English Standard Version, listen to the word of the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, O Lord to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts, but to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evil with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your word, for the truth that it contains, and for the life that it brings to us spiritually. And Lord, we come today asking you to stir us up, uh, awaken us, Lord, to what it is you want to say to us. Awaken us even to a sense of our own need that we would know what to reach out and lay hold of when it's offered to us. God, you know every situation, every person, every set of needs even better than any of us do. And you know how your word can speak into those situations today. And so we ask that you would speak, Lord, your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory and our good always. In Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated if you're standing. Well, as I said, talking on the subject of security, the question I would ask at the outset is, what gives you a sense of security? What, what is it that you find security in? You, you may actually not even know entirely what the answer to that question is, because sometimes we only see that clearly when we feel insecure. And then we realized how much our security depended on uh, that particular thing. So for example, when the company announces layoffs and there's a chance you might lose your job. And you realize at that moment how much your security rests in your income or in the health insurance that you get as a benefit of your employment. Uh, maybe you have a situation where you and your boyfriend or girlfriend have an argument and uh, you're afraid that that's going to be the end of the relationship. And you realize at that moment, uh, you've got a lot of your sense of security wrapped up in that relationship. And you've got a lot of just insecurity that you're not really sure where it comes from or why you feel that way, uh, that every time something goes a little bit wrong, the, uh, the whole relationship is at risk of falling apart. But uh, you may find there what's where some of your security rests. It, you may be one you never know as a younger person whether dad is going to be drunk or sober when he comes home. 
or, or what mood he's going to be in regardless of whether he's drunk or sober. Or maybe that's true of not your dad, but your husband. Uh, maybe at some point for some, even right now during this pandemic, maybe especially earlier in the pandemic, uh, for those who are higher risk for whatever medical reasons or age reasons or whatever, maybe you felt like every time you went out in public, you were sort of rolling the dice with your health. You just were, you weren't sure who you were around, how bad this thing really was and that sort of thing, but you, you really felt a sense of insecurity about your health and realized how much security you, you place in good health. Well, again, all kinds of, all kinds of uh, situations could create those senses of insecurity, but here's what that reveals, is that life is actually kind of shaky, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that more than we think about a lot of times, we walk around all the time on shaky ground. And, and we come to realize that all, um, all the things that we typically find security in actually give us a false sense of security because they can fail us. They can be taken away. In fact, at some point, all of those things are bound to fail you uh, at one time or another, in one way or another. But there is an unshakable security. There is an unshakable security to be found for those who trust in the Lord. And because he, he establishes us or, or grounds us or anchors us, Maybe a few ways you could say that, but he establishes us, he surrounds us, and he sustains us. I think that's what we see in Psalm 125. I want to touch each of those three briefly, um, but, but I actually want to sort of preface that by what we see in the very first phrase of the first line of Psalm 125. And that is that these assurances of Psalm 125 are spoken to those who trust in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord. The provision that God has made, the grounding he has given us for trusting in, in him is Christ. That was always the case, has always been the case. That is the case. It will be the case. That the way we are able to trust in him, the way, the way that trust suffices in any way in our relationship with him is because what he's done for mankind in Christ. Since the, since the first sin of uh, man and woman in the garden, God set out to redeem mankind by his grace and through faith. In fact, you remember it says of Abraham um, that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't because he did everything right at all. In fact, if you haven't read the story, you should read the story to be assured of that fact. He was not a thoroughly righteous man. He certainly wasn't without sin. But his faith was counted as righteousness. And then it says in Galatians 3 that uh, his, it wasn't to his seeds or, or offsprings that the promise was made of an inheritance for them, but to his seed, that is Christ. So Abraham, who was, who was counted as righteous because of his faith, 
uh, God made a promise to him that was actually fulfilled in Christ himself. The promise was to Christ. And all who would believe uh, by faith in Christ were those that would be reconciled uh, to God. Uh, there, there's only one way then to be saved in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There wasn't one way then and, a new, and another way now. There wasn't one way for ethnic Israel to be saved and a different way for Christian to be saved. It wasn't like the Old Testament was salvation 1.0 and the New Testament is salvation plan 2.0. God has always saved people by grace through faith. Those in the Old Testament looked ahead to the provision God would make uh, for them to be saved, delivered, rescued. Those of us living on this side of the cross look back and see what Christ uh, has done, how, how that promise was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. But there is one people of God. When it speaks here in verse 2 about he surrounds his people, there's one people of God who have always been reconciled to God by faith. It is those who trust in him. And, and so part of the reason I'm even elaborating that is to say we should read, we are right to read as, as New Testament believers, we are right to read these psalms, these promises, um, these uh, sort of invitations and exhortations to trust in the Lord. We're right to read them as pertaining to Jesus, that the way we trust in the Lord is we trust in Christ. Uh, you could, for, for later reference, you could look at Psalm 45 and then Hebrews um, uh, 1.8 as an example of um, a broad statement about um, God's kingdom in the psalm and then in Hebrews 1 uh, where it's revealed that that pertains to Christ's kingdom. The Psalm 45 is speaking of Christ even though it doesn't say Christ. That those in the Old Testament didn't know um, everything about him, that he would be a Nazarene, born of a virgin, uh, that he would live a sinless life and die on the cross and all those kinds of things that were revealed by his coming and even after his death. They didn't know all that, but they still were, were trusting in God to provide what they couldn't provide on their own. Um, our trust then is grounded in what God has done for us through Christ and what he does for us through Christ. And that is, again, number one, that he establishes us. You could use other words for that as I attempted to do, and you could pick your own word if you want as we look at verse 1, and you'll see what I'm trying to get at here. But verse 1 says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Jerusalem was located on a mountain, um, and it's actually in some respect, also built into the mountain, into the bedrock of that mountain. You might picture little dwelling places you've seen pictures of or that kind of thing that are, that are just, they're carved into the side of the mountain. They're carved into a rock. Um, even tombs and that kind of thing were, were that, that uh, way. So th there's a city 
not only on a mountain, but in a certain respect, in the mountain. And uh, in a similar way, our spiritual lives are, are, are founded not only on Christ, but in Christ. We're anchored in Him. Our lives are built into Him, established, uh, settled. <laughs> um, I would say rooted, but you don't really... You don't grow very deep roots in rock. And so it's drilled down, anchored in, carved in. That's the sort of imagery here. Uh, and we sing of Christ as being things like a firm foundation, right? How firm a foundation. Uh, we sing about on Christ, the solid rock I stand. And it's a wise man who builds his life on the rock, not on the sand, right? and who builds his life in the rock. So our, our lives as Christians are, are built into the rock that is Christ Jesus. And that's, that makes us unshakable and immovable. Our security is, is absolutely, utterly immovable and unshakable because it is in Christ himself. And so here's the thing. I mean, this applies not only to us individually, but as the church. You know, I, I am not one bit concerned about the future of the church in general. I'm concerned about plenty of local churches. I'm concerned about the general health of the American church for lots of reasons. Uh, the, the American church has, seems uh, plenty able to poison ourselves and, and, and harm ourselves and do ourselves injury in certain, certain ways. I am not one bit afraid of the church being destroyed by all of the evil in the universe. Because it is Christ's church. And it is as immovable as Mount Zion itself. If news breaks that Mount Zion has been totally uh, chopped down uh, and thrown into the sea. They've raised the whole thing and they're building a, a city, you know, at sea level. Um, maybe then I'll reevaluate <laughs> about what a threat there might be to the church. But, a, but, but otherwise, the church has a security that is unshakable and immovable. Now, the key to actually experiencing a greater measure of that is remaining in Christ, right? It is staying close to him, where we know him intimately, where, where we are attuned to um, his voice as he speaks to us by his spirit, as he comforts us by his spirit, um, as, as we just have some personal connection to him that gives us a sense of assurance. Uh, that's actually critical to actually feeling the security that we really have, that is unshakable and immovable, because we're, otherwise we're, we're quite preoccupied with all of those things like our income and our health and our health insurance and our relationships and so forth. Uh, but the deeper we are, 
um, in Christ, the, the more firmly we are anchored in the rock of Christ Jesus, the more utterly assured we are of an unshakable security. He establishes us. Number two, he surrounds us. These are all images that are given to us here in the psalm. And in verse two, it says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Jerusalem um, is on a mountain, but is also surrounded by other mountains and hills. Um, I think there are seven hills of Jerusalem. It's sometimes referred to that way, sort of like uh, Rome had um, its seven hills. They don't totally encircle Jerusalem, like it's not like a, a wall, a continuous wall of mountains necessarily. It's not surrounded in that sense. But there are mountains and hills all around Jerusalem that sort of stand guard, providing protection and, and just a sense uh, of security. And that's a, a really comforting picture, I, I think, if you, if you think about it. If you think about how reassuring it is to have protection on all sides. Imagine if someone had physically threatened you. It could be, you know, uh, maybe it's really happened to some of you, but like an abusive relationship that's ended in a really unhealthy way and law enforcement's had to get involved and courts have had to get involved and that kind of thing. But imagine if there's a physical threat to you and you're assigned some police protection and so you have an officer with a squad car at the end of your driveway. You've got officers at your front door, at your back door, and at every corner of your house. How... How secure would you feel inside your house knowing there's that kind of protection all around? You know, how peacefully would you rest? Well, I bet a great, a great deal more peacefully than you would have otherwise. And maybe even right now, there, there, may, there are almost certainly people for any number of reasons feeling insecure and anxious for legitimate reasons. And you may, you may find some comfort in knowing the Lord surrounds his people. Part of the reason I went to the effort of talking about how, how uh, Christ is the anchor of our trust and that God has that there's one people of God in the scriptures is to say, this applies to you if you're a believer in Christ. God surrounds his people. And we have this great measure of security knowing that no matter what it, the threat may be, real or perceived, there, there may be a real chance of losing your job, of not knowing where your next uh, income streams going to come from of losing your health insurance and not knowing how am I going to how am I going to deal with that even for a month even in the face of real sources of insecurity like that there's great comfort great reassurance to be found in the fact that the Lord surrounds his people and then thirdly uh, he sustains us so he establishes us uh, he surrounds us and he sustains us. Verse 3 says, For the scepter of wickedness 
shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. In the Bible, uh, a scepter is associated with authority. It's sort of a ceremonial staff. In fact, that this word, uh, this Hebrew word, is sometimes translated as staff or rod, and it has different uses or whatever, but, but a, a scepter was, was kind of a ceremonial staff. So uh, a, a king carrying it carried it because it, it was a scepter of authority, not because it was just a walking stick. It might be the head of a tribe of people would carry the scepter of authority. But there's authority and sovereignty associated with that. So the, the scepter of wickedness uh, has the sort of implication uh, that there's a threat of being ruled by or dominated by an evil nation or king. And what he says is, the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. It, wickedness, evil, will certainly touch us. There's no way of living in this world without being touched by evil. Not only sort of from the outside, but from the inside. Uh, there's no way to escape temptation to sin and succumbing to that temptation. Uh, it, it, it'll touch us, but it cannot rule over us. The, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an implication here, an assurance that evil will not overtake us, even though uh, it'll touch us. I might fall into sin, but I will not dwell in sin. Sin cannot have dominion over the life of the believer. Um, that doesn't mean I won't sin. It, it's certain that I will. It doesn't mean that there won't be sins that I struggle with over and over and over again, because it's certain that I will. But sin does not have dominion um, over, over the life of the believer. And evil just can't overtake uh, the, the believer. God places limits on what the enemy is allowed to do to us. I, I uh, read this quote from Charles Spurgeon on this passage that is, uh, is just so perfect, I think, and it, it's, uh, it's, it's seasoned with a little 19th century English, of course. But here's what he says. God has set a limit to the woes of his chosen. The rod may light on their portion, but it shall not rest upon it. God has set a limit to the woes of his chosen. The woes, you and I, as those who trust in the Lord, the woes that we would experience, God has set a limit onto them. The, the rod, that scepter of wickedness, might light upon the righteous, but it shall not rest there. Uh, it can only remain for so long. It has its season, and then it must go. And if you're in that season right now, uh, rest assured, it has its that season has its end. Uh, that, that wickedness, evil, hardship, calamity, even sin and the consequences of sin, uh, it may light upon you, but it cannot rest upon you. 
because God has set a limit there. He sustains us in that way because it says, um, otherwise, at the, at the end of verse 3, the righteous might stretch out their hands to do wrong. Either just saying, hey, you know, if evil's going to reign anyway, uh, I'm just going to give in. I mean, everybody else is doing it, I'm going to do it too. Or um, if in retaliation for the evil acts of evil people, we might uh, resort to sin ourselves. Uh, the, the, the message here is God places limits on what evil can do to us and how long it can remain. For our good, he sustains us. He sustains us. Well, once again, all of these, all of these assurances are for those who trust in the Lord. And so I, I elaborated earlier about the fact that that trust is anchored in the person of Christ. That can start sounding real cliche and just academic uh, and, and old news to those of us who have been around the church for a long time, been around the faith. It is important to know for maybe those who are um, just sort of peering in the window <laughs> Uh, that, our, that our access to God, our reconciliation with God, um, is anchored in the sacrifice he made for us through Jesus Christ. But the, the, other, the other side of that is not everyone who professes faith in Christ actually trusts in the Lord. And I've, I have to revisit this theme from time to time because it is possible in so many ways, to almost follow Jesus the way Jesus said to follow him. To be sort of almost Christian. Because some people who say they believe in Christ, when you, when you get right down to it, they have a, sort of the equivalent of a superstitious kind of belief in him. Meaning like, you know, superstition involves believing in something that there's really no ground for believing. So you think about certain mythical holiday figures, that uh, characters whose names I won't mention in case there's mixed company watching. Um, but uh, superstitions of that sort, um, that there's, no, there's no real basis for believing it's not anchored in fact in some way. And in many cases, people believe in those superstitions without really believing in them. Like they might sort of still observe whatever is associated with them, but, but not really having a deep belief. You know, uh, baseball is either famous or infamous, notorious for, um, for having superstitions that players will observe uh, it, maybe not necessarily believe in it. It's actually just become part of the game of baseball. But like things, for example, uh, very, very often players will not step on the foul line. You could ask just about any, any baseball player. The rule is don't step on the chalk line when you're uh, going on and off the field. Step over it. I guess it's bad luck or something, supposedly. Um, obviously, nobody thinks that's actually true. It's just one of those things you don't do. There are baseball players who uh, always eat the same foods on game day. 
Um, I remember hearing of one player who, uh, the, the story was anyway, that he said he didn't want to put his bats in the team bag because he didn't want his bats picking up bad habits from the other bats. <laughs> so there's superstitions of that sort. That in other words, like there's, there's no grounding for that belief. And in some cases, the people don't really believe it, but they sort of hang on to it just in case sort of thing. There are people who have belief, who claim belief in Jesus that really amounts to that sort of superstitious level. Again, they don't think of it that way, but there's nothing about their life that has changed. They just, they, they just said, okay, I believe it, uh, just in case it's true. And again, I'm, I'm sort of overstating the issue a little bit, but nothing about their life changed. And so it's a belief that doesn't trust. It just belief means something else uh, in that sense. Uh, there are other people, it's not, a, it's not a superstitious belief necessarily that's a problem, but, but others that turn what they call faith into performance. So it's doing certain good things, not doing certain bad things, performing certain uh, religious acts or rituals and that sort of thing that may be more ceremonial if you come from a you know highly liturgical church background it might be less formal um, if you don't but otherwise it's just performing those religious duties it's the, the sacraments it's the offerings it's the um, you know attending services whatever the, the the sort of just acts of religious um, duties are that, that somebody's supposed to do uh, to be acceptable to God. And again, what both of those share in common is that they don't involve trust. In one case, there's uh, no change of life whatsoever, uh, 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 some kind of belief professedly, and just no change of, of life whatsoever. The other is, is trusting in their own works, <laughs> their own acts of uh, um, fidelity to a certain, you know, keeping certain rules and that sort of thing. Trust, trust involves resting in confident reliance and dependency. I think all of those words are associated with a biblical concept of trust, rest, confidence, reliance, dependency. Really trusting God with your whole life, making His way your way. And, and as you, many of you know, probably the very best indicator of trust is control. How much control are we trying to exercise over all of our lives and every little part of it? How much control are we willing to yield to the sovereignty of God, to His goodness, to His faithfulness, to His infinite wisdom to know what's actually good for us? 
to know what's actually best, to know what uh, ultimately is right, even if getting there means feeling insecure temporarily. But when we're struck by those moments of insecurity and then scramble to retain control of the situation, it reveals something about how much trust we actually place in the Lord. And again, here's one way of, uh, if not measuring that, observing and understanding it. Uh, the more you control, the less you trust. And the more you trust, the less you control. Now, as, as always, I guess, has to be said, that doesn't mean that we don't remain responsible for doing things we're responsible for doing. There's lot, life is filled with all kinds of stuff we have to do. We have to get up and go to work to earn an income. Uh, ordinarily, it would be the extreme rare example where we would expect to just walk outside every day and God has dumped provision on our front doorstep. It, that's possible for him to do. Uh, but there, there are lots of things, in other words, we do have to do and we're control, in control of our own decisions. But uh, you understand where it becomes an indication of your trust or lack of it. You understand it. Where you try to hold on to control because you're afraid God uh, won't take care of it or won't take care of it the way that you would. But the, the more you control, the less you trust. The more you trust, the less you control. The more trust you have in God, the less, the less you have to say, um, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've done what I'm able to do. Uh, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to try to take the steering wheel again. Lord, you handle this. John the Baptist said of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. And for him to increase, uh, your trust must increase. Okay, To be able to say like John the Baptist, he must increase, means your trust in him must increase. For you to decrease, it means your control over your life, over your circumstances, over the lives of people around you. Because highly controlling people will try to control everybody and every circumstance and situation uh, to work out to their own favor. Totally untrusting people. It is those who trust in the Lord who have an unshakable security and it is a forever kind of security. And so my, my, my invitation to you, my encouragement to you uh, would be to go deeper into him today um, so that you might find uh, yourself hidden with Christ in God more and more. So let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for this word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for a promise and assurance that we have unshakable security um, because we are rooted and anchored in Jesus. 
We thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us through him. And God, we thank you that all of this we've just even remarked about is what you have done. It is you who have established us. It's you um, who surrounds us. It's you who sustains us. And we confess we so often want to know what are the three things I can do. We want the takeaways to know what we can do. Thank you, Lord, for the message of grace, which is all about what you have done, such that our action item is to trust. So, Lord, would you move us in whatever ways we need to be moved, uh, that we might relinquish control and trust you more and find there the peace that is promised to your people. Would you lead us there even now in Jesus' name? Amen.